Up next, we've got on the line here is Margareta Dovgal. She's the Managing Director of Research at Resource Work Society. And this week's topic is climate and the energy crisis, the double whammy. Margareta, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Maine Karen. So we are about to talk about a very important topic here. We are raising money, but Pakistan is experiencing unprecedented floods. Nearly 30 million people are affected. 10 million are displaced and several million are in imminent danger. How did we get here? Yeah, it's been really, really heartbreaking seeing everything that's going on in Pakistan. And ultimately, it's important to understand what factors have created the conditions for climate change, which are causing these floods in the first place. And in short, We've discovered fossil fuel energies for the last 150 years. We've transformed human life. Uh, you know, we were mining things like coal for thousands of years. But uh, in the last 150, we've massively, massively intensified that. And it is without a doubt the reason we have the quality of life that we do today. But now we have an obligation to taper our unabated emissions of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. And they've grown really, really rapidly. Uh, we've also been depleting the forest cover that sucks out CO2 from the atmosphere. And as we've built cities and civilizations, lifted billions of people out of extreme poverty, defeated hunger for the most part, and most preventable causes of childhood death, and also connected humans across language and culture on an unprecedented scale, we've also triggered a massive shift in the atmospheric carbon cycle and the most extreme and unpredictable weather that many of us have been noticing these last uh, couple of years, last couple of months, are very, very closely tied to the average global temperature increase of about one degree Celsius that we have from pre-industrial times. That might not sound like a lot, but it's enough. It's changing climatic systems on which we all rely on, including humans. So essentially, on one hand, we need to sort it out. We need to find new forms of energy production and consumption. We also need to find new ways of managing the carbon cycle without plunging humanity itself into further poverty. Uh, and we all need to do this by fighting the effects of climate change, investing in adaptations, ensuring that the world's populations can withstand some of these impacts. Uh, so Canada especially really needs to sit up and pay attention. It doesn't mean panic, but we need to think about the problem rationally. And that's the only way to get out of this dilemma. I think Canada should be investing as much as it can in not only ensuring its own resilience to climate change, but helping countries around the world, like the millions and millions of people right now that are affected by the situation in Pakistan. So it's important. Let's transform our energy system, uh, but also ensure we have the economic foundation to help those who are most affected. Nikiran, I'd love to know a little bit more. What can life listeners do to alleviate what's been happening these last couple of days uh, in South Asia? Mm -hmm. There is so much. And I just do want to remind our listeners, you know, we have got Red Cross that you can donate to. We've got Citizen Foundation of Canada or the Imran Khan flood relief efforts. They're all organizations that do really wonderful things. Even a dollar can go such a long way. So, Margareta, we would really, really like to highlight those particular charities because every dollar can really make a difference here. Absolutely. I know, right, we know the next topic here. Meanwhile, Europe is facing an unprecedented energy supply crisis. Energy experts believe that Europeans may have to endure cold indoors and empty shelves. Is this really a direction we're headed in, and can Canada do anything to help? Yeah, it's really our inability to provide the things that our allies need and want. Um, they're asking for these things, and it's causing them even to accuse us of hoarding things like energy and food because we can't ship them fast enough. But it's not necessarily deliberate sabotage. You know, I don't think Canada is holding on to our, our export commodities because we want to just uh, 
use it for ourselves, but really we have a poorly defined pan-government approach to building infrastructure needed to get these products to market. And despite the necessity of energy transition, we need to get serious on climate change. We continue to be a major producer of products that the world continues to need, and we are so dependent on these things right now. You can't wave a magic wand and uh, get ourselves out of uh, a massive reliance on energy-intensive, emissions-intensive products. And for now, these are oil and gas, minerals, metals, food crops, forestry. And the really great thing is we have a unique approach here in Canada. We can reduce global emissions. Uh, we can get enough critical minerals uh, to enable electric vehicle batteries to be produced so we can start to transition away from fossil fuels and replace those materials being produced in places with atrocious human rights records. Our forestry products can replace more emissions-intensive building materials and our liquefied natural gas which the German Chancellor recently visited Canada asking about, can be brought to Asia and Europe replacing coal. And right now, as you said, European countries have even begun to look at burning coal because renewable energy isn't supplying nearly enough. The war in Ukraine has really disrupted the global supply of energy products and the Russian gas that Europe in particular is so dependent on. So I really would just emphasize here that you know, if around the world, our competitors can build a facility that produces, pipes, liquefies, and ships natural gas products in as little as three, even two years. We should be able to do it a little bit quicker than the decade on average it takes in Canada for a proponent to go through a very heavily muddled regulatory environment. And it's not an exaggeration whatsoever that things are about to get cold and miserable. There are some energy analysts predicting that indoor thermostats in Europe, this winter may drop by 10 degrees Celsius as heating fuels are rationed. And the average repair uh, is still going to get walloped. Uh, and worse yet, this crisis is going to continue for several winters. So Canada needs to get serious. It needs to act. And we need to stop navel-gazing and look to helping the world get to a better place on energy. We've spoken about this before. The war in Ukraine is causing serious concern that many developing countries, especially in Africa, may suffer famine as supply of critical crops like wheat is disrupted. Is there a path forward that can avoid this catastrophe? Yeah, well, you know, in a nutshell, nearly half of all of Africa's wheat comes from Ukraine and Russia. And right now there are millions of Somalis, um, some of the poorest countries in the world, that are at imminent risk of famine. And what we need to do right now, I think, to stabilize some of the uh, supply is drive towards peace. I'm not a geopolitics expert or a military strategist, but I really, really hope that people create the conditions where our political leadership can drive towards peaceful solutions that would not only save people in Eastern Europe right now who are experiencing warfare, conflict, and the destruction of their homes and communities, but also enable those around the world who rely on goods moving stably and securely through those regions to have the food that they need. Uh, so that's, it's a very, very challenging ask. But I think it's very important that uh, we're not um, believing that this is all a runaway train. There are things that Canadians can be doing as it relates to food production. We need to just ensure that we are producing reliably. We're not uh, creating conditions where our food security and the food security of our allies comes under threat. And that's not an easy thing when you're trying to get a balance between good climate policy to prevent the sort of situation that you've been describing in Pakistan uh, and also supplying adequate energy, so good energy policy. 
so Europeans don't freeze and Canadians um, have to shut down businesses and uh, massively, massively uh, change our quality of life. So I think it's critical that we try to see all of these things in a holistic lens and move towards shared solutions. And that requires a little bit of bravery, I think, from our political leaders. And finally, Margaret, let's talk about Canadians. Gas isn't exactly cheap, but we don't have small business shutting down left, right, and center just yet. Just how exposed are we to all the stuff happening around the world? Well, in short, we're pretty exposed. Um, a global recession, which we're facing down the pipe on right now, it's not something we can sleepwalk through. Um, climate change and the impacts that are coming closer and closer to us, uh, you know, forest fires, massive heat waves, uh, even the ones here this summer in the lower mainland, um, these are all things that are picking up the pace, and we're really only at one degree Celsius uh, of warming on average from pre-industrial times. We're on track for two, three, maybe even four, and that's going to have a huge, huge cost in terms of our ability to uh, rely on infrastructure and ways of building and living and transporting and running human society. So we need to have the economic resources and foundation so that we're not left with our pants around our ankles. So I would love if all Canadians could ask for better, more coherent, more consistent policy direction from our leaders. We need to supply our allies with the products that they need. We need to ensure that our businesses and our families uh, can afford the, the costs of everyday life, uh, and that includes energy and products. Some of these things rely on factors entirely out of control, and some of these are factors that are in our control. And we also need to ensure that we're investing as much as we can in not only the basic research that will help us get through the breakthroughs we need to fight climate change, but also investing in everything that will take some of these good ideas to commercial scale. And I know there's a lot to unpack there, not enough time, but thank you so much, Minkiran, for having me on at such a pivotal moment. And I hope everyone can open their hearts and their wallets at uh, such a challenging time for folks in Pakistan and in many places around the world, there's climate change. It's just super, super hard. Mm-hmm. Margaret, thank you so much for your time. We always appreciate it. You take care. You too. Bye.